Hey, for those of you who do not know me, my name is not Kirk Walters. I'm the administrative pastor here, I think, is the, the little sign we'll say here on the screen in a minute, but I'm Brett, uh, Brett Mays, happy to be uh, asked by our pastor if I would uh, teach tonight and, and, and speak tonight here at First Wednesday. Uh, hopefully you brought a Bible or you have a Bible app. If you have that, go ahead and turn that or open that to Second Peter. That's Peter with a two in front of it, chapter one. We're going to examine a phrase that we hear from time to time um, and hopefully gain some understanding on it, gain some, some clear uh, understanding. We're gonna work on decoding or understanding a very churchy phrase tonight that maybe you've uh, heard thrown around. Now, did you know that Christians have a language all to ourselves? Now, this center section right here that gets wild, they think I'm talking about tongues. I'm not talking about tongues. I'm talking about Christianese. We have our own language in Christianese, and, and, and that's where words that we say inside the church don't necessarily have the same meaning to those that are outside the church. Um, and so we kind of take on, a, you know, mean, the words have meaning all ourselves. So, for instance, we say, oh, we're going to go have fellowship. Now, somebody outside the church would be like, what does that mean you're going to go have fellowship? Is this like a Lord of the Rings thing or what's going on? And we're like, no, we're just, that just means we're going to hang out. Right, we're gonna go have fellowship. Or we hear people often say, well, I was having my quiet time. You know, that sounds like time out to a child, right? That sounds like punishment. You had your quiet time. What, did you do something wrong? And really what we mean in the church is, is that's when I was doing my morning devotions and I was having prayer and I was reading my Bible. Now, but in Christianese, it's implied that you're enjoying that probably with a cup of coffee, right? That's, that's, that's Christianese. Um, I love this one. We pray for people to have traveling mercies. Now, to somebody outside the church, that may sound like God's mercies that travel from place to place or they travel from person to person, but what we really mean in Christianese is we hope you have a safe trip, all right? And then I love this one. You ever hear somebody pray for a hedge of protection? Now, I don't have anybody in mind. Don't crawl under your seats, but we pray for a hedge of protection around people, and you think like a hedge, like bushes, like bushes of protection, because that sounds like pretty lame protection. Anybody can slip through hedges or you can whack down the bush, but no, a hedge of protection in Christianese is like spiritual bulletproof glass, right? Think bomb shelter. When we pray for hedge of protection, so we have all these kind of weird words or these weird terms, and tonight we're going to try to de-churchify or de decode. So Rosie, de-churchify means that we're going to take something that sounds mysterious or, 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 or spiritual, one of these, these uh, uh, things that are in the scripture that may be hard to understand, and we're going to try to make it attainable. We're gonna to try to make it understandable to people uh, like me or maybe people outside the church that are not fluent in Christianese. And the term that we're going to de-churchify, Rosie, is the divine nature. I won't pick on you all night, I promise. Now, I don't know what runs through your mind when you hear that phrase, the divine nature. Maybe you think, well, the divine nature, that's God's control of the universe, or, or maybe it's the godly aspect of our lives, whatever it may be. I hope that by the time we, we finish, uh, an hour and 45 minutes from now, See, you do speak Christianese because you know I was just joking. We're not gonna preach an hour and 45 minutes unless the Lord leads. We'll, we'll see what happens. But hopefully by the time we finish, we'll have a better understanding of what Peter is talking about here in 2 Peter chapter one and that we'll be able to understand what the divine nature means. And as we cover that, I hope to, to, to uh, unpack or, or, or to talk about a little bit the what, the how, and the why of what Peter's saying here about the divine nature, why it's essential in our lives, because God expects us to live a certain way. It's already quiet in here, except for the baby. Thank you for the amen, wherever the child is. No one else believes that. God expects us to live a certain way. 
Okay, and that, that the way that we should live should reflect his glory, should, should speak to others about the salvation that, that he, he has given to us. And so many times I, I, I'll talk to a believer or counsel with somebody here at the church who is kind of stuck in the same spiritual condition and the same mindset year after year. So not just a season, not just a dry season, which is another, you know, Christianese kind of term. So not just a season of not growing spiritually, but somebody who just gets stalled out. They're just kind of stuck in neutral. They're never really growing or developing in their life to look any more like Jesus than say they were three, four, five years ago. And being holy and being set apart as God calls us to do, it sounds so unattainable, doesn't it? It sounds so hard when we think about being holy. But God's word in 2 Peter, I think, is going to give us great hope that, that, that godly living, that holiness, is not only possible for everyday believers like you and me, whether we speak Christianese or not. It's not only possible, it's, it's expected of God's people. So sound good? All right, we're gonna, we're gonna dive in. So uh, scriptures are on the screen if you didn't bring a Bible or anything tonight. So First Peter chapter, or 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those throughout the, through the righteousness of God our Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. So who is Peter writing to? He's, yeah, he's writing to the church. If, if it's those who have received a, a faith as precious as, as his, as Peter's, uh, or the same faith, we can assume that he's writing to believers. So look at your neighbor near you and say, this is for you. Now, if you look at your neighbor and you're not sure if they're a believer, you look at him and say, I hope this is for you. All right, nobody took me up on that one. So all believers here tonight, if you're watching online and you're a believer, just, just turn it off, go to the next video of, of, of Pastor Kirk preaching some other Sunday. Um, I'm kidding, hang with us. Uh, but let's, let's keep going. Um, verse two, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. His divine power, listen to this. His, divi his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. It's amazing. Listen, Peter makes two very important statements in these verses. In verse two, he says that grace and peace be ours, or they are ours, through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. I mean, how much grace and peace do you need in your life? How much grace and peace do we need in our world uh, today? And Peter says, that through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, it's, it's ours. That no matter what life throws at us, no matter what the circumstances may be, that Christians still have grace and peace if what? If we, if we know God, if we, if we know Jesus. I mean, think about the time, the day that we're living in. Think about the silly thing like the election that's gonna happen or the, the, uh, next week and all the silly ads that we're seeing just tearing each other down and then the, the fear on both sides of the aisle, uh, uh, political folks, that if, if things don't go your party's way next Tuesday, right, the world is gonna end. Right, most important election of our lifetime. And it may be, but, but Christians, no matter what happens, and listen, let me, let me just take a little sidebar here from my notes and say, please go vote next Tuesday. Lisa, can I get an amen? All right, any, any CTAP uh, life group people in here tonight? All right, go vote next, next Tuesday if you haven't already voted. Vote according to the word of God. Vote the values of the party and the, and the individuals that you think best reflect or will bring about what we see in the kingdom of God. But understand, these people aren't part of a theocracy. They're not working for the Lord, many of them. But go vote according to what the Holy Spirit leads you to do, what you see reflected in the values of the word of God. But whatever happens next Tuesday, guess what? Christians are. 
all over this church, and I pray all over this country, will still respond with what? Grace and peace. Why? Because we still know Jesus. Regardless of the outcome of, of, of the elections in any given year, we still have grace and peace that has been afforded to us because we see things differently. We act differently. We respond differently because we have been given grace and peace through knowing God and through Jesus Christ. And the second point that Peter makes in these couple of verses, in, in verse three, he says that it is by God's divine power that he has given us everything that we need for life and for godliness through what? Through our knowledge of him, through our knowledge of God. We have everything that we need. Let that sink in for a moment. Pastor Lance was just talking about that a moment ago in worship. Not sure what you think that you need, but what you need is Jesus. Everything that we need for life, that's pretty uh, comprehensive, and godliness, the topic that we're talking about, how to live holy, it's been already been given to us. So from these two verses, we can conclude that it's the knowledge of God, it's, it's the people of God, humans like us, knowing God that leads to this grace and peace. It leads to uh, uh, having everything that we need to face life. And it's all been given to us by him. Because we know the creator, because we know the savior, grace and peace are ours. And, and Peter didn't say in limited supply or just enough to get through. He said in what? In abundance. In abundance, it's ours. So it's God's power at work in us that gives us everything that we need to live a godly life. We on the same page? Anybody exempt in this room that you don't have what it takes to live a godly life? Raise your hand. I didn't think anybody would take me up on that one either. All right, good. This, listen, this is why God wants us to know him. It's why he invites us to, to study him, to test him, to, to have a personal relationship with him, to experience him in the indwelling and the infilling and the empowerment of his Holy Spirit inside of us. He invites us to do that. So how is it that we can come to know God? I'm gonna go Old Testament on you. Proverbs chapter two, this will be on the screen. Uh, beginning of verse one says, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turn your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. And if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, verse five, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find what? The knowledge of of God, for the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. What are you saying, Pastor Brett? That, that, that knowing God requires effort on our part to seek him. Knowing him requires some effort, some action on our part to actually seek him out. How do we do that? Reading his word, meditating on his word, prayer, Time spent just talking to him and, and, and another half of prayer is listening, listening for his voice to speak back, to have a conversation. So, so many times uh, people just want to gush everything out on God in prayer and never listen to what his answer may be. Never listen what he may say either through his word or by his spirit or impressions into our hearts. So, so prayer making that a, a, a two-way street. Just like a, a, a proverb said, asking him for this understanding, asking him to teach us about him, joining life groups and being in Bible studies uh, with, with not just life group leaders, but other believers that the, that the spirit and, and God speaks through. The list goes on and on of ways that we pursue him, ways that we try to find knowledge about him. What does James say in James 4, 8? Come near to God or draw near to God and he's gonna do what? He's gonna draw near to you. Begin that effort and you'll find James 4, 8 to be true, that God is not hiding somewhere. He's not trying to keep himself a secret from you. 
that he is ready and waiting for you to seek him, that he might reveal himself to you. And it's through seeking and knowing him that we'll discover what this divine nature that Peter's gonna unpack here in the next couple of verses, we're gonna discover that what that's really all about. We're gonna discover what God has purposed for us. So if you got your finger there in the Bible at, at, at first, or Second Peter chapter one, let's go back. Verse four says, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the, here it is, in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So through what? Through knowing God, through understanding his great and precious promises, Peter says that you and I can participate in something called the divine nature. Now, let's, let's de-churchify that term, that phrase. Let's, let's get through the Christianese. What does this mean? Divine. Divine simply means it's pertaining to a deity or to God, something that is godly. Got me so far? Something that's divine, it's just pertaining to a deity or to God, it's godly. And then, and then what about nature? What does that mean? It is the condition or the circumstance as determined by birth. So we, we are born of a certain way. We are born of a certain nature, uh, a, a condition or a circumstance of, uh, that has been determined at, at our birth. Now, for all of us, it is, it is something that is physical. There's her, hereditary, uh, hereditary attributes that we have. There's physical attributes that we have. It may be how high or how tall we are. It may be, uh, you know, our, our body mass or our weight. It may be the color of our skin. It may be um, our sex. All of these things, it, it could even be our socioeconomic status as determined by our parents. That is, that is our human nature, right? We were given that at, at birth. And as long as we're alive, we're either blessed by it. Some of us are blessed by human nature, but all of us are cursed by it because along with the human nature comes what? The sin nature, Right? But to clarify this term, the divine nature that Peter's talking about here in 2 Peter chapter 1 is the condition of godliness that God has determined for you when you were born into his family. Let me, let me read that again. Divine nature is the condition of godliness that God has determined for you when you were born into his family. Now, that's different than our, our, our physical birth, right? Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says, unless you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Like there, there is something else that's supposed to happen, Nicodemus. And, and what he was talking about there is that when we become Christians, something happens to us. Something is changed in, in, inside of us. You see, we, we, we find uh, ourselves spiritually in a brand new condition or, or as, uh, uh, as Paul would say, a brand new creation, a circumstance that is brand new is determined by our what? Our birth, our new birth, that, that we have been born into a divine nature now because God is our father. So that when you were born again, you were given this divine nature. Did you know that? It's getting quiet again. Just the babies amen to me over here. And I love it. I wish you had about 15 more babies in here. But when you were born again, you were given that divine nature. And remember I said that we would cut the, cover the, 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 the what, the how, the why. This is the what is that, that, that the what is that we've already been given this divine nature. It's not something else to, 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 to ask for or to wait for. It's not something else that, that God's gonna give you. The good news is, is that he does not leave us like he finds us. That when we're born again, something different takes place. There is a new nature that is deposited inside of you. And, and that within itself is, is the good news. That could be a sermon all in itself that when you were adopted into God's family, when you were invited into his family, you were invited to participate in this divine nature in 
learning what it means to live like a son of God or learning what it means to live like a daughter of God. That, that was what's expected of you from that day forward. Now, I know in, in, in this room, it's Wednesday night, right? All the saints are here. I know that on Wednesday night at, at, at our first Wednesday gathering, all of you are already participating in the divine nature, right? Like everything's great in your life. Grace and peace are yours in abundance, amen? But we call ourselves sons and daughters of God, but do we live, and here's my question for you, do we live in an awareness of that every day and in every circumstance? And has that new identity in Christ really taken over more so than our old identity, our old human nature? That's, that's really the question for us tonight. Is do we look differently than we did when, when Jesus found us? Do we look the same than we did 5, 10, 15 years ago? Some of you have been walking with Christ for a long time. Some of us, I think, have forgotten how glorious this life in Jesus really is supposed to be. I, I didn't say trouble-free. I didn't say perfect. I didn't say easy. But, but glorious, yes. The scripture says that we should have joy unspeakable and full of glory. Because it's, it's easy to get complacent. It's easy to get... Uh, distracted and not thrive in, in, in walking and communing with the Spirit of God and with God himself every day. But he's called us to this new way of living because he's calling us to be like him. So we're gonna look at the how. Uh, Peter's gonna lay out the characteristics of the divine nature in, in these following verses. And, and, and again, God is calling us to participate in this, in his divine nature. And if he's calling us to do that, then guess what? He's going to make it possible. He has made it possible. It happens when we learn his, what Peter said, his great and precious promises. We learn to know him. So let's look at how we grow in the divine nature. We're, we're at verse five now, if you're following along. Uh, Peter says, for this very reason, make every effort, boy, a stinky word, isn't it? Make every effort. Oh, that sounds so hard. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Remember I said earlier, it's going to require effort on our part to get to, to, to know God. Paul tells us the how here of growing in divine nature because it's not going to just happen. He says, make every effort to add and the verb for, for add there, it's an imperative. And an imperative means it's a command. So, so Peter is, did I say Paul a second ago? I think I might have. Peter is saying, this is an imperative. This is a command to you, people of God. Make every effort to add. It's not, and it's also, uh, not only is it an imperative verb, but it's an active verb. It means it, this is not an impassive endeavor. You have to go after it. Because we have this human nature still, right? And the human nature is in conflict with the divine nature. And it requires effort on our part to seek God and to seek his nature in our lives. Now, I wanna be very clear, I'm not preaching works-based salvation. Don't anybody run out of the room, label heretic on me and you know, take off to your car. This is, a, this is about the effort to pursue holiness. This is about the effort to pursue godliness. If you look back at verse three anyways, what Peter is saying is it's God's divine power that has given us everything that we need. So it's not derived, it's not directed by us. It's from him in the first place, amen? Uh, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter two, uh, verses eight and nine, that, that it's by grace that we've been saved, right? Not of our own works, it's the gift of God so that nobody can boast. Peter is not in conflict with Paul here. 
The effort is to, is to know God and to lay hold or to access his great and precious promises and do what verse four said, to now participate, to be active workers, people putting forth effort to join God in his desire to see the divine nature growing in us. Do you see that? It's getting real quiet again. I'm, I might back up. Do you see it? Okay, it's going to require some effort on our part. So it is possible for the divine nature to grow in our lives and, and, and lead us even more. And this is God's plan. This is God's desire. Lead us more than our human nature does. It's easy. It requires almost no effort for us to be led by our human nature, right? That, that's what feels to be redundant. It's what feels natural to us. But God says, look, there's a very different way that I'm calling you to live. And it's my nature that I want working inside of you, the, the divine nature. But Peter's saying, look, we got to participate in this with God. Because divine nature isn't self-directed, it's Holy Spirit directed inside of us. And, and our choice from the day that we were born again and every day since then, and, and come on saints, we have to choose whether or not we're going to submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit or we're not, yeah. right? Every day we're faced with those choices. Am I going to follow the leading and, and, and yield to the Holy Spirit or am I gonna do what, what? My, my human nature is urging me to do? What's easy, what's wrong, what feeds the flesh? We're faced with those choices every single day. So, so Peter says, our participation, our effort is going to be outlined in, in these next few verses. So it begins with salvation and the faith required unto salvation. And that's the first thing that Peter assumed in verse five is that we, we have salvation or we have faith unto salvation. Faith is the, the first step in, in, in knowing God. But then what he said in verse five is, is to your faith add what? Add goodness. And that means virtue or moral excellence. So more than just believing in God, guess what we have to do every day of our lives? We have to choose whether or not we're gonna do what's right. Temptation is going to come. The human nature is not gonna go away. But we have to choose to do what is right. What did James say? James said, even the demons believe and they tremble. But guess what? Demons aren't going to choose to do what's virtuous. They're not gonna choose to do what's right. And so many believers, I think, get sidetracked with thinking, hey, I've just got faith and faith is enough. Faith, faith is enough to get me across the finish line. That's not the life that God's called us to. Who wants to stumble into heaven, right? Who wants to be surprised when you wake up on the other side of glory and go, oh, but I did make it. <laughs> I don't, do you? I mean, that's not the life that he's called us to here. So, so we, we, we choose to say, God, I, I wanna know you. I wanna choose to do the things that are morally right, the virtuous things, because it's not going to, if we just say, hey, look, I have faith, that all of a sudden the goodness of God is going to just flow out of our lives. No, we have to be disciplined. We have to be discipled. We have to learn to live like Jesus, to follow his way. So every day we have a choice of whether or not we're going to choose to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit or we're going to reject it. Let me put it another way. Every day we have to choose whether or not we love God or we love sin. We're faced with those choices all the time, but goodness, adding goodness to our faith, that's a distinguishing mark. That's a characteristic of the divine nature. That's how people know that we're sons and daughters of God and that we're participating in this divine nature. We do what's right because goodness is a characteristic of our God. Verse five, let's keep going. And to goodness add what? Knowledge. 
Here, Peter comes right back to knowledge that he talked about in the first few verses. How many of you, and, and you can raise your hands, it's not a trick question, you do try to do what's morally right or virtuous in your life. You try. Not all hands are up. I'm, I'm kind of surprised. Maybe this sermon isn't for you. Maybe we just need to have altar call right now. Even in my amen corner here, like now all the hands didn't go up. I'm, I'm, I'm literally shocked here. Um, but just as important as, as, as doing good is knowing why we're doing good in the first place. For, for, for believers, how many of you know good people? They, they try to do things that are good, but they don't know the Lord and they're not serving the Lord and they're not doing good for his sake, right? We, we all know people like that. Knowledge is so important here. And Peter, uh, Paul, yeah, Peter has it. I'll get my apostle right here in a minute. Peter has it here in the list because it reveals our motivation as to why we're doing good. And for Christians, we're motivated to, to do good because our God himself is good and we want to be like him in character. So, so, so godly kind of goodness, in addition to our knowing that we are trying to be more and more like God, that results in lives that begin to honor him, lives that begin to reflect his goodness, reflect his character. Let's keep going in verse six. He says, to knowledge add self-control. Self-control means the restraint of emotions and impulses. Now, I, I already got an amen on that. Somebody's struggling. A, a characteristic of the divine nature is being able to control ourselves and react out of the previous characteristics, right? Goodness and knowledge that I'm, I'm going to behave and, and, and react that way. And just think about decisions you've made already this week from, from, from Sunday to, to Wednesday night here. Wouldn't you rather be somebody who, who makes decisions out of the knowledge of God and knowing what is virtuous and right and why you want to do something that's virtuous and right rather than reacting on emotion, which would be our human nature, right? It would be our sin, sinful nature. Peter says that built upon the knowledge of God and this godly wisdom, we have to add, we must add self-control. It's not impulsive, but it is confident control based on what? Based on the knowledge and understanding of who God is and how he's leading my life, how he's calling me to be more and more like him. Keep going in verse six, and to self-control, we're gonna add what? Perseverance. So guess what happens when we, we know what is right, we clearly think about a decision that we have to make, we set our emotions aside, and we choose to do the thing that is virtuous, we choose to do the thing that is right. Guess what happens? Many times, things still go wrong, don't they? Knowing this and, and, and sharing in the divine nature it's going to require perseverance from all of us. I don't care who you are, how old you are, how long you've been walking with the Lord. It's going to require perseverance. And that literally means the capacity to hold out or to bear up in the face of difficulty. The capacity to hold out or bear up in the face of difficulty. How many times in our lives are we being challenged and stretched and strained to hold out or to bear up in the face of difficulty? All the time. And how many of you can, t can testify that when you determine to do what's right and you know why you're doing it, man, things get worse, especially for new believers. I feel so bad for new believers sometimes. You know, we, we offer the grow team down here every Sunday for folks that make a decision for Christ. And very few of them come forward. And you know where we see them later? Coming forward to pray with our prayer team because they're like, what's wrong with me? You know, I prayed this magical prayer and Things are just horrible in my life. You know, we're like, well, we told you to come to the Grow Team. We'd get you started in God's word. Anyways, that's just a commercial Grow Team. Listen, Jesus exemplified this, right? When he suffered for our sins, he persevered through 
the, 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 the torture and the pain that, that, that he knew was gonna come. He could have gotten out of it, but he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And he persevered to the end. So whatever the problem of their circumstances for believers, we can hold on and we can persevere and we can continue to do what is right based on what we know about God, based on the intimate knowledge that we have of him and our desire to be like him. We persevere, why? Because we have a God who has modeled it for us. Jesus has shown us how to persevere in the absolute worst circumstances. Let's continue in verse six to perseverance. What are we adding? Godliness. Godliness means uh, reverence or respect towards God. And when I respect someone, I'm careful to, to try not to offend them. When I have reverence for someone, I begin to try to model my life or emulate my life, uh, or pattern my life after them or, or care about the things that they care about. So godliness entails respecting God so much that you begin to let his influence literally shape your life, remold, remake your life. It's a desire to be like him. So what the divine nature is calling us to participate in is becoming more and more like God in the pattern of his character, in the pattern of his nature. You remember when Jesus laid out the, the, the challenge, Matthew 5, 48, he says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Anybody else just groan at that scripture and go, oh, Jesus. You know, the Pharisees had the bar here and then Jesus is like, you know, it's, it's, it's way up here. It sounds impossible. But this endeavor is exactly what it means to participate with God in the divine nature, in the life that God has already put inside of us, the life that God has already prepared for, the, uh, for us to live. So we're called to be people who pursue godliness. And, and what that means is to invite God to change and to shape our character, our thoughts, our actions, our lives. That when we say we want to be godly people or act in godliness, we're inviting him to change us. We're inviting him to influence us. And these, these decisions to, to, to participate in the, in the divine nature, to go after godliness, things that shape our character, things that shape our decisions and actions, these battles are, 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 are fought on our knees. These battles are, are, are fought in that, that, that proverbial quiet time. These battles are fought when temptation comes and we have that decision to make of are we going to yield to the leading of God's spirit or are we going to follow our human nature? Are we going to love God? Or are we going to love our sin? That's where these decisions and these, these battles are won of whether or not we're going to be godly people and whether or not we're going to do what Peter said, make every effort to do these things. Work with God, work with his spirit that he's put inside of you. Here's, here's the direct result, verse seven. And to godliness, add what? Mutual affection. Some translations might say brotherly kindness. But when God begins to shape our lives, we will literally begin to, to love and to treat others, show affection to them the way that he does. I have a confession to make. I have a high tolerance and a high uh, amount of grace for sinful people. That's not my confession. My confession is I have a very low tolerance and a low amount of grace for people in Brett's mind that ought to know better, right? Uh, we, 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 all, we all have people like this in our lives. Um, people that ought to, by now, they ought to just get with the program, right? Like Everybody's zigging, they got a zag. Everything's going great. I mean, it was a wonderful Sunday and church is doing great. Life is good until you talk to them and everything's terrible. Or 
hey, you know that God's on the throne. You know that he's sovereign over your life. There's nothing that's gonna come against you. You talk to that person, somehow God got booted off the throne, right? You know who I'm talking about. I call these people EGR people. EGR, extra grace required people. Now, if you don't know an EGR person, I'm gonna take a page out of Pastor Kirk's playbook here tonight. If you do not know an EGR person, guess what? It's you. You are the EGR person. But here's my confession. I lack uh, grace and I lack what, what Peter's talking about here. I lack mutual affection uh, oftentimes for these folks. And I get aggravated by it uh, easy, easily. And, and, and I know when I do that, and, 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 and Stacy's sitting over here on, on the second row, you can nod if I'm telling the truth. When I do that, I know that I'm drifting away from what God is trying to do in his divine nature, his, the work of the spirit in me. And I have to stop, don't I? And I have to pause, and I usually talk to her, and God uses her and speaks through her, and I'll not react with my emotions like the previous verse said, and I'll pray. And I'll repent, honestly. I gotta repent sometimes for the way that I feel towards EGR people within the church. But you know what I find when I do? That, 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 that divine nature that I tried to tap into, I said, God, if, 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 if you'll help me not feel this way, I'll do something different than what my flesh is telling me to do to that person. And, and he'll do it. If we're sincere, right, he, he, he answers that prayer. And when true mutual affection is, is, is alive and well in the church, listen, there aren't people who are aggravated at others anymore. There aren't people who are constantly offended at other brothers and sisters in Christ anymore. There's, there's mutual affection and there's unity in the church when we'll stop and let the spirit of God awaken and grow the nature of God inside of believers, Amen. That's what we need. And last part of verse seven, he says, and to mutual affection add what? Love. So more than just loving one another in the church, which is hard enough, especially for guys like me, it's hard enough within the church. But when we allow God's divine nature to, to grow in us, to be sought out by us, to making every effort to, to attain it, then we're gonna to begin to love. And, and that love is gonna spill over, I believe, even to outside of the church we're going to love the unlovable. We're gonna love people we've never met before. I, I think this is a loving church. You give ridiculously to global missions, people you've never met, people you won't meet until we get to heaven, and yet you give so that they can know Christ. We'll begin to love the unlovable in our community. We'll begin to, un, uh, we'll begin to love addicts. We'll begin to love prostitutes. We'll begin to love adulterers and thieves and liars. And the list goes on and on. Why? Because we know that if it wasn't for the grace of God that we have access at some point, that's us. That, that we'd be in their shoes. But when we, we, we add love into the mix, then, then Jesus says in, in, in John 13, 35, he says, that's the distinguishing characteristic that the world is gonna know that you're what? You're my disciples. If you have love for one another. See, all these characteristics that Peter uh, lists here describe the divine nature. They paint this, they paint this picture of spiritual growth. And it's a beautiful one to go back to, to kind of do a self-assessment as believers from time to time to say, am I growing in these attributes? Am I growing in these characteristics? But the, the picture that Peter is painting here, boy, that's like a Peter Peck to pick of peppers. That's like a tongue twister right there. But if you see the, 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 the picture that Peter is painting here of the divine nature, what he's doing is he's painting a picture of what God's character is like, what God's nature is like. So, to be clear and to try to, to, to wind this up, to sum this up, God is calling you and me to be like him. 
not in the sense of us being gods and, 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 and being a God ourselves, but finding ourselves in what? In the new condition or the new circumstance because of our new birth into his family. That we hold on to the fact that something's changed. There's a, there's a, there's a new nature inside of me. And the divine nature is not self-seeking. It's not boastful. It's not trying to leverage something against God or leverage some kind of position of power or authority here in, in the church, try to come off as super Christians. The divine nature growing in us is about what we can give. It's about the manner of giving in the manner that Christ gave, that we might do the will of God. And if it means doing upfront or an important job in the church, so be it. But if it means picking up trash when nobody's looking in the church, or it's putting, putting your arm around the homeless person and sharing the love of God with them when nobody else is around. Whatever it is he's called us to do, having the divine nature growing in us is about being like him in the circumstances that he puts us in. He's calling us to live like his sons and, and like his daughters. And the last verse I wanna read to you from 2 Peter is verse eight. Listen to what the apostle says. For if you possess these qualities in what? In increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So two things I wanna point out from this verse. First, they're to be possessed in increasing measure. You know what that tells me? Is we won't have it all down pat to begin with we're still all working on it, right? I'm working on it. I hope you'll admit tonight, you're working on it. As a matter of fact, we're gonna be working on it until Jesus comes. Secondly, I'd point out to this, is it relates to the why. Why do we participate in the divine nature as believers, as sons and daughters of God? Peter says, it will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. And I, and I think that so many people live in a, a defensive stance in their, in their spiritual lives. We wake up defeated or we wake up, you know, unsure about the day or unsure about our identity in Christ. And, and we think, well, I just, I just hope to get through this day and I hope I don't do anything that blows it and, and gets God uh, uh, mad at me. But when we, when we focus or when all we do, we do is focus on our, our relationship with God to, to not displease him rather than to please him, we, we, we throw the divine nature out the window and we have kind of relegated our relationship with God into just simply being some kind of sin manager. We, we, we start to, to focus uh, this defensive posture of, I just wanna not offend him rather than focusing on the things that please him. The, the greatest sin managers in history, you know who they were? The Pharisees. They made up laws to try to keep God's original law. Not because they wanted to please God. They just didn't want to make him mad. They didn't want to displease him. They wanted to, to make a name for themselves as the, the people who could keep the most amount of God's law, right? They wanted to have that control over the people. And Jesus told the Pharisees that when you do this and you make a convert, he's twice the son of hell as you are. So that's not the way for us to live, right? Not as sin managers, not as, not as people who are just trying to not offend God. Here's what I really believe about the recognition of sin is that if you're a believer, and you've invited the Holy Spirit into your heart, you already have a sin manager. You know right from wrong immediately because Jesus promised that the work of the Holy Spirit would be to convict the world of sin. And when we do wrong, we know it. Come on, I only got three amens. When we do wrong, we know it. Nobody else has to come along. God loves us so much that he points that out in our hearts. And he points that out. Listen, this is not condemnation. This is liberty that he loves us that much that he's going to reveal sin to us and say, that's not my nature at work in you. I have this good news tonight. God needs people who are going to be sons and daughters who work on 
pleasing him. Stacy and I have four kids and I love my kids. They're mine, they have my name, even though my oldest one got married earlier this year and she changed her last name, she's still mine. And William, where's, where's the camera on? Where it is back there, she's still mine. I, I love them. I love them because of their existence in the world. I love them because they're part of my family. And I receive love from them simply because I, I, I'm their dad. But you know what really exponentially raises my, 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 the, the, the level of my pleasure in them is when I see them act humbly towards one another. When I see them serve in the church or I see them serve in the community or I find out about something that they did that was generous to somebody that couldn't pay them back. Or I see them go and do an internship somewhere with a ministry or, or something just to, just to give because they want to, to, to bring the kingdom of God to dark and to broken places or, or, or they just simply do what Stacy and I have taught them to do. And they don't know that I'm watching. They don't know that I'm listening or I'm paying attention. Man, my, my pleasure in them just, just skyrockets. And I think the same thing happens to God. Is that, look, he gives us his love because we belong to him. He's our God. He's our father. We're his children. See, he already loves us, so it's not about earning more love, but, man, bringing him pleasure by doing the things that he's called us to do, participating in this divine nature. Oh, my goodness. He would just get overjoyed if his church and if his children just began to, to live in that reality and say, I, I want to make every effort. I want to work, Jesus, to know you, not to be saved. Don't, don't, don't hear me wrong tonight, but work to know you, to press into your heart, to understand who you are. Peter says, this is what's going to keep you from living a life as a believer that is ineffective and unproductive. This is the why of the divine nature because it honors God. It identifies us as his children, people that belong to him, that we do the things that he would do for the right reasons to glorify and honor him, to reflect his glory, not just back to him, but to the world around us that they would see him and give, or see him in us and give thanks to him. He is ready and he is willing to pour out his spirit. And what I mean by that is to pour a growth of the divine nature into us as we genuinely seek to know him. He gives us what the scripture calls the mind of Christ. He enables us to walk after the spirit. Galatians 5.16 says, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Right? Because we'll be gratifying the divine nature instead. Romans 8.14, those who are being led of the spirit are the sons of God. Ladies in the room, those who are being led by the Spirit, the daughters of God, we're the people of God if we allow the Spirit of God to, to lead us. So participating in the divine nature is, is God's call for our life. It's, a, it, it's allowing His Spirit to lead us where He wants us to go in our growth, in our Christ-likeness, and, and taking on the characteristics of who God is. And here's the deal. We have a choice of whether or not we're gonna pursue it. Choice is ours. What did Peter say at the beginning of this passage? He's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. No one in here, no one under the sound of my voice, no one watching online is exempt from that statement, from that verse. He has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. All we gotta do is yield. Yield to the leading of his spirit. Choose to press into all of these characters goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, the list goes on and on until we get to mutual affection and love. How might your life be different if you became a participant 
with the Holy Spirit and the divine nature that's already inside of you? How might your church or your family or this community be impacted if we became participants, made every effort to know him, to allow the spirit to, to grow us up into the men and women of God that he's destined for us to be. The divine nature is already in you. He's just asking us to yield, to work with him on a daily basis, choice by choice, day by day, to participate with him. Would you stand with me? Our, uh, our worship team is gonna come back in just a moment. They're gonna lead us in one more song. But as we do on, on I, I believe, all of our, our first Wednesday nights, we wanna open this altar for, for prayer, for ministry. It's gonna be open for a variety of things. I'll get to that in just a moment. But in, in response to the, to, to the teaching, in response to, to 2 Peter chapter one tonight, if you're somebody who feels like you've been stuck in neutral in your walk with Christ, let me, let me back up one more step. If you're somebody who's never made a decision for Christ, and I know I joked about it earlier that this Second Peter text was for believers. Listen, it's for unbelievers too. Hopefully, as you see the character and the nature of God laid out by the apostle Peter, you think, and that's exactly what my life's been missing. If that's you and you need to come and talk to somebody and then make a decision to entrust your life to Jesus Christ, meaning what I mean by that, I don't wanna speak Christianese to you. What I mean by that is, is that you believe what the gospel says, that Jesus was the son of God. He died for our sins, that he was buried. He died a real life, was buried in a tomb. Three days later, came back from the grave, resurrected to new life, symbolizing and, and sealing the deal that death has no hold over him. We sang about it earlier during worship, that, that uh, hell has no hold over him, sin has no hold over him. But the death that he died was paying for our sins. And the life that he lives now is the first fruits, meaning that you and I can have the promise of eternal life forever and ever. That's what I mean by entrusting your life to Christ. If you've never done that before, man, tonight come forward and talk to somebody. Take that first step of participating in the life that God has called you to. There's no shame here. There's no embarrassment here. Let me tell you something. If, if you're thinking and you're on the fence about whether or not to make a decision for Jesus tonight, everybody in this room that calls themselves a believer has walked the aisle at some point to make a decision and say, I can't save myself. Jesus, I need you to save me. No embarrassment in this church, no embarrassment in this place to come forward and pray for that. But also in response to the service, a sermon, if you're somebody that you just feel like you're stuck, you're not growing, you look at your life and you inventory your life against the character of God laid out in 2 Peter chapter one, you say, Pastor Brett, I'm not growing in those things. Calm down. Maybe you want somebody to pray with you. Maybe you just wanna kneel here at the altar. And then commit to God the things that, that, that Peter implored us to do. Make every effort to add to your faith all of these things. Say, God, I'm, I'm starting fresh and anew with you tonight. You come for that. But anything else that you need, you have a, a physical need in your body, you have a financial need in your, in your home and in your life, you, you want to pray for, for kids that are lost, family members that don't know Christ yet. Uh, you, you've got a relational problem. Whatever it is, we believe that Jesus is the answer to our problems, not just Christianese fictitious, but that he brings answers into our lives either supernaturally or through the, the influence of, of, of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the people of God, of God around us to affect change for his people. We believe that, that he moves in supernatural ways. But as the worship team sings, I want us to, uh, to open these altars. So prayer team, if you'll come and prepare to, uh, to minister to people. I wanna pray for us as we, uh, as we open this altar time. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for putting it on Peter's heart. 
take these kind of words and just hit a guy like me right between the eyes and say, listen, this, this is what it's all about. This is how we can live Christian lives that really honor and glorify you to keep us from being ineffective and unproductive. So God, I know what you've given me to share, but Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do the work in our hearts now things that I can't see, things that I can't do to touch each and every person either in this room, those watching online, to respond to you, to respond to your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that as people come forward tonight that they come in faith, believing that you're already there, that you've, you've, you've put your nature, you've put your spirit inside of us. Show us what it takes, God, to make it grow, to participate with you, to watch you overtake our lives and bring us into the reality of what you've called us to be as your sons and as your daughters. I pray that in Christ's name, amen. You have a need, you come.
creature when every creature finds its inmost melody and every human heart its native cry oh then in That is the goal of the divine nature, amen? Christ be magnified in us. Listen, the call to be holy ought to scare the socks off us as he is holy. But here's the good news. We get the righteousness of Christ and the spirit that he has put in us to bring about that holiness, to bring about that divine nature is called the what spirit? The Holy Spirit. We're gonna make it, we're gonna do it. He's done all the hard work for us, amen? Amen, that's my prayer as you press in allow the Holy Spirit to lead and guide your life into a life that allows Christ to be magnified in you. Let me pray for you tonight as we go. Father, thank you again for meeting us here in this place, for giving us your word, letting it speak to us, let it sink into our hearts. 
Holy Spirit, I pray that, that tonight, commitments that were made, breakthroughs that were had, Lord, that it wouldn't be short-lived, that this would be a turning point in lives. We'll be dedicated to seeing you magnified in us and your nature, God, growing in us, taking over, leading us to be more and more like you, to be your sons and your daughters, that you'd be glorified, God, that you'd be pleased in who we are. Be glorified in this church, I pray, O oh Lord. Be glorified in your people. It's in Christ's name I pray. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, to be gracious unto you, and grant you his peace in Jesus' name. Let's give our response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you. I love you. See you Sunday.